Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at believing? Welcome everyone to the 30th episode of the Lovable Podcast. This week we are going to be talking about one of the biggest barriers to finding the places we belong in the world. Here it is. We discover our places of belonging when we ask for help, but we avoid asking for help in order to stay safe. To ask for help is to invite belonging, but we don't send enough invitations. We're going to unpack all of that today. But first, let me make sure you've got a copy of my free ebook about marriage. It's called The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down, and it explores how to reclaim marriage from the consumer culture mindset that has infected it and make it into the kind of beautiful rebellion it is meant to be. So if you haven't already picked it up, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com, that's drkellyflanagan.com, and sign up in the right sidebar. In your introductory email, you'll get the free ebook and a free sample of Lovable. And then after that, each week, you'll get just one email on Wednesday mornings with a link to this podcast and to my every other week blog post. And of course, if you want more than just a sample of Lovable, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. The most recent Amazon review begins, I'm only a couple of pages into this book and I'm already crying. So go check out Lovable to find out what she means. It's available wherever books are sold. All right, now onto this week's episode, our need for help our stubborn resistance to asking for it, and how asking for it can help us find true belonging. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 29 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled Embracing Your Limitations and Being Embraced by Your People. Today, we're going to talk about how we use independence as a shield to hide us or a throne to elevate us, and how instead we can find belonging by confessing our weakness and asking for help. Before we get into this week, though, let's check in. This year of listening, loving, and living, trying to recognize your truest, worthiest, most lovable self, and then reveal it in order to discover the places you truly belong. What is your experience right now in the middle of this brave journey? While you think about what you want to share, um, you know, we, we talked last week about learning to receive, like really truly receive compliments. And so as I was thinking about that this last week, I came across a passage in a book that I thought I'd share with you. Um, the book is uh, called A Circle of Quiet. It's by Madeline Ingle, the author of A Wrinkle in Time. Um, and this is from page 138 of the book. Uh, she's talking about the ups and downs of the publishing process, and this is what she writes. Strange, if a review is good, I am delighted but I don't take it quite seriously. If a review is bad, I fall right into that old trap of hurt pride, hubris. And that's it, that's the whole quote. And I, and I love that because it's sort of like, you know, that's a whole new layer to the challenge of receiving compliments, not just hearing them um, and appreciating them or even delighting in them, as she says, but like really like not letting them just slide right off of us and moving on to the next thing and looking for the next 
um, disappointing things said about us, but really like sitting still for long enough for that compliment to soak in, to take it seriously, to sort of let it descend from our, our head into our hearts. And it got me thinking, um, when we receive a compliment, rather than just trying to practice saying thank you, um, what if we then made that compliment the meditation of the remainder of at least that day, maybe even the week? Um, but if we just let those words, that truth about us, sort of become the meditation of our day, how would that help it to truly sink in? How would that help us to truly take in that compliment and let that truth in? So um, I, was, I appreciated that challenge that I came across in that book, and I'd love to hear anything else that's coming up for you all as you, as you work through these practices. Anne writes, there is so much love and grace in this group, I wish these people could all be my in-person tribe. And Julie writes, and you are not alone in that. I'm lucky to have a couple in-person tribe members, but we don't get weekly quality time like this. And I think that's a really, I think the longing that you're describing, Anne, is felt by the group and, and Julie, the, um, the experience of not having the same regularity with people who are actually in our, you know, in our flesh and blood sphere is, totally resonates. Um, it makes me think, actually, and, and I'm going to throw this out there, it makes me think of something that I do with uh, couples when I see them for therapy. Because um, couples rarely have a full hour a week they dedicate to each other, face-to-face, -to, -face, to look at each other and, and talk about meaningful things. And I think that's a big part of why couples therapy helps. So what I tell them when they finally conclude couples therapy is don't give up this hour. If you are coming in on Wednesday nights at 8, um, then keep this hour. Every Wednesday night at 8, continue to meet in this way. Well, wouldn't it be interesting if when this this particular lovable podcast concludes, which is going to be sometime way at the end of this year, if we um, if we continued to keep this hour and said, I'm going to reach out to a person or two that I belong to and say, nine, nine, nine o'clock central time on Wednesday mornings, can we get together? Or maybe you find another time, but you give it that same level of dedication. I think that would be a really powerful way to build belonging. And I would just encourage anyone who's been listening to the podcast, participating in these Facebook Lives, to consider that kind of, of regularity. Um, if, we can, if we can dedicate a certain amount of time to listen to the podcast or participate in it every week, we can transition that time to face-to-face -face time with our, our people. So I think that's a great challenge. Julia writes, my boss complimented me this past week on something that I caught that she missed. I said, I only caught it because I had fresh eyes on the situation. And she said, why do you always put yourself down? You never accept a complete a compliment. You are awesome, and I am so grateful for you. Well, what a blessing, Julie H., to have a boss like that um, who is intentional about making sure you hear the good news about you. Um, but I, I, I resonate with your initial resistance. I think that's what we were talking about last week is there's that initial, oh, well, you know, it's just because I'm in a different situation or just because I had fresh eyes um, or... Um, you know, in the in the language of my faith, it's often, well, I can't take credit for that. I, I give credit to, to God for that. But then we tend to take credit for all the really bad stuff, right? And so there's never any space to truly take in and integrate this good news about who we are. So um, I appreciate your boss bringing that back to you and your awareness that that's something to take in, that it's not just about fresh eyes for you, that you bring a quality of being to this, this role and this position that is valuable. Marie writes, you got it, Brenda. Julie R. and Anne, I'm with you. Yes, a compliment would take the week to let compliments soak in. 
didn't get a chance to ask a friend to do the mutual compliments. Found myself laughing when I kept catching myself trying to figure out who the right person to do this with was, when maybe I could do it a different at different points with different people of different levels of friendship. Maybe I can free myself to do that. Wow, Marie, thank you for that contribution. Yeah, that um, sort of staying stuck in this discernment process of figuring out who the right person is to do this with, when in fact you're probably gonna be presented with multiple opportunities over the course of a week. When you start really looking for the ways um, that people are affirming who we are, you're going to have multiple chances to do that with different people. So yeah, don't feel like you have to be too structured about it. Um, look for any opportunity you've got. I love that. Stephanie writes, I have experienced deeper conversations when people are intentional about wanting to have them. Our small group picks books and studies that cause the conversation to go deeper where we have to be vulnerable. These are the best conversations. Stephanie, that's a really... That's a really helpful um, addition to a lot of these conversations about belonging. Um, that it might be really helpful at the outset to establish what is everyone's level of interest in terms of developing depth and connection and authenticity. And when you get people together who are all in agreement, no, we want to go deeper on this. We want to challenge ourselves in terms of our authenticity and feeling a little bit vulnerable. Um, and if that's what you want as well, well, then belonging is going to happen. That's, you know, in some, in some form that is edifying. So I, anyways, as I read, as I read your comment, that's what I think of is, um, how many times do I hope for depth in conversation and in connection, but I've never really clarified whether or not the other person wants it. And so I might be trying to get something out of the interaction that they don't want. What would it look like to up front? Just be say, what, what? What's your interest in terms of how this goes? <laughs> I think that's really helpful. Thank you. Deb F. writes, I gave my niece and nephew a copy of your book for Christmas. It has been fabulous getting together with them from time to time to discuss what I have learned here and what their thoughts are regarding lovable. Wow. In turn, they are discussing it with their friends. Small steps, but powerful realizations. Oh, Deb, I am just, um, I'm so blessed by hearing that. And number one, they're blessed by you um, for caring for them in that way and the intentionality and the, the care you're giving them. And then I feel blessed by all of that to hear that. Um, I feel like the words in this book were sort of given to me to pass on. And so to hear that they continue to get passed on is just a, it's just such a, a blessing. Thank you. So let's continue this discussion here um, by transitioning into this week's reading um, from the companion book. Before I get into that reading, I want to read a little excerpt from Lovable that gives um, some additional context to this chapter from the companion book. Now, some weeks the connection to Lovable um, in the companion book is sort of loose. This week it's super clear. Um, and so I'm going to read from chapter 21, which is entitled, When Announcing Yourself Means Announcing Your Need. So here it is from Lovable. Chapter 21, When Announcing Yourself Means Announcing Your Need. Friends show their love in times of trouble not in happiness. Euripides. It's the day I've been waiting for. My wife and I are flying from Chicago to Denver for a convention, and after we arrive, I'll be joining a conference call with my literary agent in a major publishing house. It's my first meeting with an editor to discuss the possibility of writing my first book. It could be my big break. You know, the one that will solve all of my problems and make my life perfect. Tongue-in-cheek. I can't remember the last time I felt so anxious. I want it to go flawlessly. So I've given myself plenty of time before the call to retrieve luggage, catch a shuttle to the hotel, and settle into the room. But then the storms hit, literally. 
We're about to board our plane when the flight attendant announces that another line of summer thunderstorms is rolling through Chicago, and the flight will be delayed 30 minutes. No problem, I think. We've got plenty of time, hours even. But then, just as we're about to board again, another delay, and then another. The new projected arrival time means I'm going to be on a loud and crowded shuttle at the time of the call. I can picture myself, finger pressed against my ear, asking repeatedly, can you hear me now, while the editor fumes and kicks herself for scheduling a meeting with this rookie. I tend to function as a lone ranger. I take care of myself, pull myself up by my bootstraps, and don't expect help from anyone. My wife, though, has always had a knack for building community. She attracts the same robust kind of love she gives. She leans on the people who lean on her. In other words, she's good at belonging. So as I'm panicking about my doomed interview, my wife is doing something else. She's picking up the phone. When we bid farewell to the people who won't or can't see the light inside of us, in other words, this process we've been going through of, of clarifying our circles of belonging and seeing them shrink a little bit, our world becomes a lot less populated. The people who've been hanging around because they could push us around eventually go away. And who is left? The people we can call on when the storms hit. Our numbers dwindle, but ironically, our loneliness does too, because we find ourselves surrounded by a small band of brothers or sisters who have our back. 17th century poet and cleric John Donne first said, no man is an island, and Thomas Merton popularized the saying in the 20th century, life is a train wreck, mess is inevitable, bad stuff happens, it just does. It's not a cosmically designed punishment or life lesson. Some days the storms just roll in and wreak havoc, wrecking our plans and putting our dreams sometimes even our life, in jeopardy. But when the storms do hit, we have an opportunity to redeem them. On days like that, we discover that to live from our soul, the great, powerful, divine thing at the center of us, is paradoxically to become aware of our dependence on other souls. When the bad stuff happens, it's a chance to rely on the good stuff in other people. And the people who bring the good stuff are the people we belong to. My wife picks up the phone and calls a friend who arrived at the convention a day earlier. Like an advanced scout, he tells us the hotel is almost 45 minutes outside of Denver and the shuttle will never get us there in time for the interview. But then he tells us he rented a car the day before. He'll be parked at the curb when we arrive and he'll break the speed limit to get us to the hotel on time. We land in Denver and as promised, he's waiting at the curb. It looks like we'll make it in the nick of time. However, after a day of travel, my phone is almost dead. I'm going to get to the hotel on time, but I won't have a way to reach the publisher. My friend reaches into the glove compartment and pulls out a phone charger with an adapter for every phone ever invented. I plug in my phone and he hits the accelerator. The people we belong to charge us up when it feels like we're going dead. They respond with what we need in our time of need. They show up when the storms blow in, and they do so not because they are expecting to get something in return. When we ask for help, there are no questions asked. The people we belong to are filled with grace and spill it wherever they go, and one place they've committed to go is toward us even when it means driving into the storm to get us. So that is the, um, that's the foundation of this chapter from the companion book. That idea that um, we come to trust who we belong to because they are the people that, that move towards us um, when things are um, in their greatest peril for us. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to have someone by your side at the party. It's another thing to have someone by your side at the funeral, that kind of, that kind of idea. So anyhow, I, let's, let's transition into this week's reading from the companion book. Week 29, Embracing Your Limitations and Being Embraced by Your People. Having three kids in a dual earner family feels a lot like juggling, except the balls are children and the balls are unpredictable and crabby, <laughs> and they bite the hand that catches them. 
My wife and I are supposed to keep these precious balls aloft, but they don't want to be caught. They want to watch television and eat sweets and show me they are in charge of the act. Sometimes I feel like I'm the one being juggled. And sometimes there are simply too many balls in the air and I don't have enough hands. Several years ago, my oldest son had a baseball game. When I looked at the family schedule, I knew there was absolutely no way for my wife or me to transport him to the game. I contacted his coach's wife and told her my son wouldn't be able to go to the game. Her response was simple and obvious. Kelly, we can take Aiden. Except it hadn't been obvious to me. The thought of asking for help had never crossed my mind. It rarely occurs to me to ask for help, in part because I've lived most of my life pretty independently. I've always just taken care of myself. But of course, there is another reason, a deeper reason. Asking for help is a vulnerable experience. More recently, a friend of mine gave my kids a ride to another extracurricular event. Later that afternoon, as we picked our kids up from the event, I offered to drive all of the kids to their next appointment. He looked back at me and smiled slyly and said, no, that's okay, I want you in my debt. (laughs) My friend put into words a great truth. Asking for help feels vulnerable because it usually comes from a place of neediness and insufficiency and dependency. It comes from the place at the end of ourselves, the place where we are no longer up to the task, and this makes it a risky place, the place where we are most exposed, the most revealed, and the most at risk of rejection. To ask for help in this place feels vulnerable, and it therefore requires courage. There are many kinds of courage. Clearly, courage is the stuff of battlefields, the soldier on the first day of boot camp and the last day of his deployment. But vulnerability, revealing one's true self to another and forsaking the carefully constructed false self we normally present to the world, is also courageous. This is why I'm convinced the waiting room of a therapy office is populated by the most courageous of souls, people who have, in one way or another, come to the end of themselves and are stepping into the vulnerability of a request for help. As a parent and a psychologist and a writer, there are too many balls in the air and I don't have enough hands. And the truth is, this is very, very good. We all need to come to the end of ourselves, because once there, we discover it isn't really the end of ourselves. It's the end of our false self, that carefully crafted image of competency and perfection we have erected in order to protect our true self, that part of us that is a complicated amalgam of mess and beauty, shame and glory. When we are bowed low, we come face to face with our true self. And the truth is this, we need help, we are worthy, and we are worthy of help. In the midst of our identity revelation, we have come to trust that we are a worthy giver of love. Now we have to trust that we will also be worthy if we are a receiver of love. So that is the the reading um, for this week. And having just read it, um, it uh, it brings up a story, uh, an experience of mine that happened just last week. I was supposed to give a talk at a local church, and um, <laughs> I I knew that the church's equipment required an additional, you know, Apple dongle to adapt my computer to the projector, and I ordered it from Walmart, and they told me they had it. I'm totally independent at this point, right? I got it all under control. Day of the talk, I go to pick it up from Walmart, and the, the dude at Walmart says, I know it, it said we've got it, but we don't. We, we'd have to order it for you. Um, and now I'm scrambling right, to figure out how I'm going to be able to uh, present my, my presentation that night. Um, there's no, I, I, I call around other stores, they don't have it. Um, and then it occurs to me I should probably ask for some help. I don't need to do it all on my own. And I remember that I, when I, I spoke to the administrators and the leadership at the local hospital that they had the exact adapter that I needed. And so I reached out to my friend who's the, uh, in the administration of the hospital, and I, I said to him, hey, 
Um, I'm, I'm needing this thing. Is there any way you can get it for me today? And it wasn't easy for him to get it. And he's an incredibly busy guy. And he went out of his way to deliver it to, to me personally. Um, and I knew I belonged. Um, and, uh, and so that kind of help can just be um, such, a, such a stamp of belonging that it puts on us. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about these ideas and asking for help and the challenges of doing so. Imelda writes, the people we belong to are filled with grace. True. Love it. I'm glad that one, that resonates with you, Imelda. Um, I don't know, I don't know if true belonging is possible apart from that experience of grace that we sort of pass back and forth with the people that we, we belong to. I feel like that's such an essential ingredient, so I'm glad that part resonated with you. Stephanie writes, oh, this is so good. It's such a blessing to encounter people who truly care about our well-being, right? Like, it's so easy. It's just so easy to assume that, well, you're, you're with me because I'm good at having fun with you or I'm good at giving you this or providing you with this or uh, because there's something constantly being given by me and then to ask to receive, to say, I need your help. There's nothing I can give you in this moment. I can only receive from you. And then to have the person show up anyways. Um, what an affirmation that we are worthy and that we belong. Deb F. writes, aside from chapter 20 in Lovable, this chapter is my favorite. When you start to lose those in your circle who intentionally hold you back and start finding your tribe, there's nothing like it. There's so much less effort to keep it flowing and going due to the genuine interest in you as a person by people who want to see you succeed. Deb F., you just summed it up beautifully. Um, what are, how do I know if I've found the people that I belong to? You walk away from them with more energy than you went into it with. And somehow, magically, energy, which is supposed to be um, a zero-sum entity, right? If you transfer energy to somebody else, someone loses it. Somehow in our circles of belonging, energy is multiplied. It's a, it's, I guess there's a miracle sort of that happens in that, that somehow everybody walks away more energized. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. So we walk away more energized, we, in part because we had a space where we didn't have to spend so much energy keeping up a false self. We just got to, to be our true self. Um, and then you're, what you're getting at, Deb F., is the way this chapter ends um, is to talk about how those circles of belonging then form the foundation for encouraging us as we go out and begin to identify and practice our passions. Um, and so this, this concept of belonging is nestled right between worthiness and purpose for a reason. Um, because until we've experienced worthiness, we can't really experience belonging because we don't reveal our true self. But once we've revealed our true self and found our places of belonging, those people almost by definition are a part of supporting us as we go forward and, uh, and pursue the things we love to do in the world. So thank you for that, that summary, Deb F. It's, it's timely. Julie writes, rewinding, I like the idea of just asking the question regarding depth. I've let opportunities go by because I'm not certain of whether that's an opening or just looks like one. That's a great way to put it, Julie. Um, and then we stop making those asks when they don't yield anything. So just ask overtly, great option. A couple weeks ago, an acquaintance asked how I was in greeting. Before I could respond, he added, you look sad. We had a real conversation and there will be more. Love it, Julie. Um, how you doing can be such a social pleasantry. We don't really know what it means, but as soon as somebody says, you look sad, they're basically saying, I'm interested in going to depth here. It's an invitation to do that. Um, and so sometimes when that's not made so explicit for us, 
um, we can ask, you know, um, well, do you really want to hear how I'm doing or are you just asking, you know, and, um, and sort of beginning to discern, yeah, where, where people are really interested in going to depth. Um, I don't, I think an overt ask makes an awful lot of sense when we're not getting clear signals. Stephanie writes, my first real encounter with this sense of belonging was the day after my husband confessed his affair. Wow. But it was fairly public. Within our church, we were shocked and overwhelmed to receive a flood of texts, calls, and messages from friends in our community letting us know they were there for us. They were praying for us and loved us. I was so broken that my independent, tough exterior melted. My husband in tears, sobbing that he didn't deserve this kind of loving response. It was a game changer for us. People our community... They were really there for us and continued for years to come. Stephanie, I mean, uh, you've shared with us a, a vulnerable thing, um, but if there's the question of, but yeah, can my belonging tolerate this? I think you just answered that for us, that, that true belonging is a place that, can, that, that will rush into any storm for us. Um, and that, uh, that, that, that that rushing in is such an affirmation of our worth even in the middle of our mess. Um, that it, it's, it, it's additional healing, essentially, for us. Um, and then this additional piece that you said, and continued for years to come, that is so important that uh, in places of belonging, people abide with us. It's not, um, okay, I've done, my, I've done my duty, right? Um, my, friend, my friend didn't just say, okay, well, I gave Kelly a, a ride to the hotel. Now I'm checking out, you know? Um, but that for the remainder of that trip, this place of belonging was a place where we could exchange help and care for each other. So, um, so yeah, there's an abiding that happens with belonging um, that, uh, that is so affirming of who we are in these relationships. Deb W. writes, I have found that when I ask earlier on in the crisis, rather than when I'm treading water and trying to hold someone else's head up, I and the person I ask have a lighter load to bear. That's so, so wise, Deb. Um, w, thanks for sharing that, that if we can get better at asking early, because a lot of times we ask for help at the moment of crisis, right? We, we want to hold on to our independence, the safety of trying to solve it all on our own and not confessing our vulnerability and our need until we absolutely can't do it anymore. And the, the ask that for help sort of comes out of a sense of desperation um, rather than a sense of proactive um, community. And, and so I love what you're saying. And by the time it comes to a moment of desperation, um, the burden increases for everybody. And I, I think again of my friend last week, you know, if I had asked him on the weekend, hey, do you, that, that adapter that you guys have over there at the hospital, could, could I grab it? Um, now he's not rushing around in the middle of a busy day. Um, but I tried to be independent, independent until the very last moment where I needed to ask for help and put him in a position and, and to, to his credit, and I'm so grateful that he did that, but we can take some of the pressure off of our circles of belonging too, by asking for help even earlier and trusting that we'll receive it. Um, and not out of desperation, but out of a sense of, of connection. Anne writes, ever since my divorce, when I have to ask for help, I tear up every time. I feel like I shouldn't have to ask anyone else to help me but no partner means I need help at times, and I need a guy's help often. Hate to ask another woman's husband to help me. How do I overcome this? And I, I, don't, I don't have a step-by-step -step for solving that. Um, what, I, what I do know, and um, you know, again, I was confronted with it last week again. Um, am I worthy of being helped? Um, 
Am I worthy of someone having to go out of their way to care for me? Um, it, this this ask for help stirs up those questions all over again. And uh, so my, my sense of it is, is that um, when we find resistance to, to asking for help, we think it's belonging work we need to do when actually it's worthiness work we need to do. We need to return to those months of listening and re-engage in those practices um, in addition to challenging ourselves to make those asks, to, to ask for help, and to really, again, sort of soak in the truth of, of, of what we then receive, that that, that that response is not out of a sense of obligation or out of a sense of pity, but out of a sincere desire to treat us uh, in, to treat us as worthy as we actually are, and so, um, so I think that it, it it asks that you now engage both of those tasks in parallel, continuing to bravely ask for help and and receive the belonging that comes with that, and also doing that inner work of embracing your worthiness all over again. Trieste writes, circle has been shrinking tremendously in these past few years. It always amazes me in hindsight after letting go, grieving, to recognize none of it changes my authenticity or worth. Trias, that's a thank you for that, for sharing that. Um, I know, for instance, for, for people who, um, for people who associate a lot of their worth with what they do in their performance, um, to engage in just a daily meditation can be profound because for 10 minutes they sit and do nothing and discover at the end of it they're just as worthy as before, <laughs> that their value didn't increase because they were still for 10 minutes. And I think that's what you're getting at too when it comes to belonging, that as you see your circles of belonging decrease and can continue to maintain a sense of connection to your sense of worthiness, it's healing. It's like, oh, the numbers don't matter. Um, the, number of, the number of people around me right now, they don't determine my worthiness. Um, that is a fixed reality for me that I can rest into. Deb W. writes, couldn't agree more, Deb. When your circle fills with uh, posers start shrinking, it's a scary feeling, but those that are left are real, and also there is room for others to come in. I love that. Couldn't agree more. When your circle is filled with posers and it starts shrinking, it's a scary feeling, but those that are left are real, and there's room for others to come in. And, you know, of the people, of the people who are posers, um, there's some who maybe just aren't ready for belonging at all. Right, so they, they just weren't ready to, to belong to you, and maybe that's going to be a long journey for them. But there are some who are posers who actually are ready for belonging, just not with you. They're going to go out and find their people, and they're going to cultivate true belonging with somebody else, and uh, and they they're sort of taking up a space in your life where someone who is ready to belong to you can step in. So Deb, thank you for that, and uh, um, and, and clarifying that. Oh, Deb F writes, Triest, I was where you were at as well. It is scary to leave those who are not for us behind. And yes, there is mourning, especially if they are family members you've known for years. I had to say God bless and move on. After creating some space and spending time getting to know myself better, I am happy to say the void is filling with some pretty wonderful people. Hang in there, it will come. Deb F, thanks number one for that affirmation of Triest and also... Thanks for the reminder that as the circles of belonging shrink, it almost always feels like grief. Like there's a death happening, a loss happening. And uh, that's why in Lovable we call it the most painful part of finding belonging. As our circle shrinks, something feels like it's dying. Um, but as you point out, something, something better is resurrected from that. Deb W writes, yeah, Julie, when you have those people who you are connected to, shouldn't they expect that ask and we have them? Um, yeah, Deb, I think... It's a great point. Like that, that the the ask for help isn't um, 
it isn't a rare moment in places of belonging. It's a, it's a flow back and forth. It's a relatively common thing. Um, in, in fact, our circles of belonging sort of become characterized by it. It's funny, actually, the, the friend I mentioned in the reading who, um, who said, I want to keep you in my debt, uh, you know, there, there's been a constant exchange of help in that relationship. And just last Saturday, you know, he called up on a Saturday morning and said, hey, we're, we're headed to try to pick up a new car. And, uh, you know, would you be willing to take our daughter for the morning? And our instant response was, yeah. And, uh, and tonight I'm coaching a soccer practice and I'm, we're trying to throw a pizza party. And his response was, hey, I'll, I'll cover the pizza. Don't worry about it. It'll show up on time. Um, that this is sort of what happens. It's this constant back and forth flow of help where that becomes more the norm. Thanks for that, Deb. Marie writes, just found myself able to share with a really good friend, but from the other side of a struggle. Even when I'm aware of being at the end of myself and in my vulnerable place, considering the people I belong to is one thing, but giving them the vulnerable me, and especially knowing I will be in another's debt, is still a leap of faith. Yeah, Marie, um, the reason belonging is so challenging is that it, it is always being built and happening on the other side of our comfort zone. Um, that if we feel if we feel totally comfortable, I think, I think that's the I think that's the tension of this is that we want belonging because it's a place where we feel comfortable. It's a place where we can be ourselves, but we also sort of saddle it with this expectation that well, it'll always be easy. I'll never be, have to be challenged again in relationship. It'll always be comfortable, and it's not that at all. It's this paradox of it's the place where you feel safest, and it's the place where then because it feels safest, you can take the biggest risks. And, uh, and so we have to be able to hold that tension in our places of belonging. Trias writes, someone not choosing to belong to you. Great way of stating it. Feelings of rejection are the struggle. That's right. That's right. Someone not choosing to belong to you. And I think, I think when that happens, and it's going to happen to all of us, uh, it needs to happen to all of us, um, what we need to be able to do is to be able to hold on to that sense of worthiness in that moment and say, um, we can't. We can't all belong to each other. This person who has decided not to belong to me is, um, they have other people they need to go um, be in community with. And I need to release them to do that and, uh, and trust that the person who is supposed to fill that space in my life will come along. So um, it has nothing to do with my worthiness. It just has to do with a matter of, of fit in our circles of belonging. Donna writes, I want to be careful to have grace for someone who may not be where I am. As you've said, none of us have it all figured out. So my practice and I think also my responsibility is to exercise that grace while continuing to progress in my own journey. There's one thing that Richard Rohr says, Donna, um, and I think it's associated with the concept of spiral dynamics, but it's this idea that as we continue to grow, we sort of transcend where we were at, but we also include it. Transcend and include. And if a person isn't really ready for belonging, um, we try to stay out of a judgmental place about that. And with grace go, oh yeah, I remember when I wasn't ready to belong. <laughs> it actually wasn't that long ago probably. <laughs> and so I can have some grace for that. Um, I've sort of, I've come to a place now where I'm ready to belong, but I still remember what it was like to, to not want to do that. So um, I think that helps us to have some grace, that idea of including what went before us in our own journey. Julie writes, building those places of belonging is a dicey, uncomfortable thing. Of course, I've been deep in discomfort for a long freaking time now. I love your way of saying things, Julie. And it's impossible to correct for that. Thoughts on piling discomfort on discomfort. A lot of the time, it's just too much. Yeah, Julie, I do have thoughts on that. 
um, you know, a lot of this, um, you know, a lot of this week was about acknowledging our limitations, acknowledging what, how much we can tolerate and handle before we come to the end of ourselves. And, and so I think part of it too, is having grace all over again for the pace of my growth. Um, that if I try, you know, and this, this, you we're doing this in a year, you know, maybe, maybe for some of us, we need to space this year of listening, loving and living out over three years. Um, spend three weeks on every on every task. Um, spend a month, and um, and so yeah, I think that uh, I think that it's important to have grace. That if um, you know challenging us feels like it's a straw that broke the camel's back, don't challenge yourself. Give yourself a little bit of space for rest, and to uh, to begin listening for that sense of worthiness again. Julie writes, it's so frustrating that belonging is so helpful and necessary, but at times pursuing it on top of everything else, depending on risk level, is daunting to impossible. Yeah, and I, I, I will elaborate on what I just said, Julie, which is if it's feeling that way, to me, that's probably a good sign. Quit putting pressure on yourself to do that and begin to, to create some space once again for that listening, for resting, for listening, and beginning to embrace your worthiness all over again. And you'll know when you're ready to go back out and uh, start challenging yourself in the area of belonging again. So, um, yeah, that's a, appreciate your vulnerability in that because it's, it's, it's going to be a good thing for people to hear that if they're running up against that emotional barrier, maybe it's okay to just listen to it and respect that barrier and not try to push through it. So good stuff. Thank you. Stephanie writes, when I finally understood that not everyone is going to like you and that's okay, it helped me to stop posturing and perfecting and seek those who really are worthy of my time. So that's, that's Stephanie, what you're getting at is, is really the fundamental idea in sequencing worthiness and then belonging. It's like, oh, not everyone's going to like me. It doesn't necessarily reflect on my ultimate sense of worthiness. So my job is just to be me and see uh, which people do like me, <laughs> you know? Um, some people like chocolate ice cream and I'm a vanilla ice cream sort of person. And so not everyone's going to enjoy the flavor of me. It doesn't mean that there's, um, anything wrong with vanilla, you know? Um, and we get that when it comes to ice cream and food and all sorts of other things, but we have a hard time trusting that when it's true of ourselves. So, um, let's practice trusting that and, uh, releasing the people who, um, who are looking for a different flavor and concentrate on just being who we are and, and revealing that. Okay, uh, now that we have talked about asking for help, let's talk about actually doing it. Um, let's talk about the week 29 practice. Here it is. This week, we're going to practice the vulnerability of asking for help. This is an important part of revealing ourselves, and it is one of the most essential steps in cultivating and establishing belonging. Because when you yell for help, the people who come running are your people. Likewise, the people you are glad to help are the people who will feel like they belong to you. When this kind of dependence gets reciprocated, belonging grows and expands into this big, beautiful, and mysterious thing called love. Ask for help at least one time this week. Inconvenience someone. Require a little sacrifice from them. Make your ask big enough that it makes you a little uncomfortable. This will take courage, because it takes courage to reveal that you can't do everything. Have the courage to be a little dependent. Then offer help at least one time this week, but don't offer to help the person who helped you. That might be a way to quickly escape the discomfort of dependency and indebtedness. Help is not evenly exchanged. True help is given freely, as needed. So that's the practice for this week. Real simple, not easy necessarily. Um, to ask for help some, from someone, a magnitude of help that just makes you a little bit uncomfortable, right? Not, can you please pass the ketchup, <laughs> but uh, something that 
kind of causes you to go, I don't know if they're going to say yes and if it's going to be sincere and I don't trust any of it and I'll ask anyways. Um, and then also to be able to do that for someone else, to offer help even without an ask, to, to communicate to them through your willingness to be there for them that they are worthy of your, your time and attention and energy. So those are, those are the simple tasks for the week. Simple but not easy. Carrie Lynn writes, quote, and then it occurs to me I should probably ask for it. Love it. How universal is this experience? Yesterday, a man parked next to me at Walmart and saw that I was about to lift a case of water bottles into my car. He asked me if I needed help. I told him no, but thank you. And then I laughed and said to him, as it was then obvious I could have used help, I will just go ahead and risk injuring my back and possibly drop it. He laughed and so did I. Why didn't I just say yes and thank you for offering? You know, Carrie Lynn, I think that's, I think what you did there is like the best we can hope for, you know, is the knee jerk reaction of probably the, the false self going, nah, I'm fine, I'm strong, I got it all together, I don't need any help, wouldn't even appreciate it, I'm, you know, I'm good, I'll handle it. And then you caught yourself, you caught that initial knee-jerk reaction, and you were able to kind of have the courage to name it and to then ask and receive that help. I think that's beautiful. Um, and maybe the goal this week is just to catch ourselves resisting the, the offers of help and, uh, and to do a little something different with it and go, oh, well, actually, I don't want to... I said no, but I'll take that help, actually. I think that'd be a great way to spend the week. Okay, let's wrap up the discussion here for this week. Thanks again, everybody, for a conversation that could go on for much, much longer, and it's such a good conversation. And in a way, we will continue it next week. Um, it's going to be week 30 of the year of Listening, Loving, and Living, and it's entitled Letting Grace Show Us How to Love. So, Donna, you were just talking about that. Letting Grace Show Us How to Love. Uh, we're going to talk about the small old and obvious things we can do to love our people better. Until then, remember you are lovable and all you have to do is say help. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. Cause you